There we go. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to South Coast Community Church. Uh, for those here with us and for those joining uh, from home, uh, we want to welcome you. And, uh, and I think we're going to just open in prayer, and then we have a few announcements. But uh, I think sometimes, you know, prayer will help us to get settled in to, you know, I don't know about you, but I've had kind of a hectic week, a lot going on. And so I think sometimes we just need to take a deep breath to be present, to enter in, to expect, and to listen to the still small voice. Amen. And so we're going to do that now. So, Lord, we, we come here just entering in and aware of your presence, God, and aware of the cost, the, the price that Jesus paid that we can enter into your presence because you're holy and just and perfect and good. And because we're not those things. But through the blood of Jesus, we can gather together as a family changed by his love. And hopefully continuing to change and changing others. And so, Father, we pray that you be here in this place. That this service be an offering. That it bring you glory and honor. We pray for power that comes from your word, your spirit. That you be with the worship. That you be with Pastor Jamie as he brings forward your word this morning, Father, and we are just grateful, Father, that we can gather together, whether it's physically or whether it's online, but we can come together as one church united in Christ. So have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so, few uh, announcements. Um, if you're not aware by now, we have five rotating groups um, so that everybody will at least have an opportunity who wants to be in an in-person service to be on as that rotates. As the guidelines change, we'll, we'll try to continue. We're not trying to inundate you with communication, but there's a lot of changes. And so bear with us with the emails. Um, and if for some reason you're not getting those, let us know as well. Um, but we are doing our best to, you know, kind of remain diligent and, and uh, respond as the, as the um, laws and everything change. Uh, the Lost Grief Group has continued. You know, Diana had asked us to mention that the holidays, though, very joyful for many of us. For a lot of folks, they're a very difficult time, particularly for those who have grieved or are grieving. And so we want to be sensitive to that. So we have a grief group. Um, it's it's going to meet on Zoom now, so it was it was meeting sort of a hybrid for a bit, and now they're going to go to an all Zoom meeting. But it's Tuesday nights. You can connect with with me or Pastor Jamie. We'll give you the details. Diane Fortencurtain is the person who runs that. If you know her, you can talk to her directly as well. Um, but it's a uh, that group's been meeting for a while. They're going through some new material, and I know they've been a huge huge support to so many in this in this church body, um, and they continue to be. So I just want to encourage you to consider that as well. And with that, if you could stand, we're going to transition now to, uh, to the worship. Amen. Good morning. Um, we're going to sing, Great Are You, Lord. And he truly is our great God, our sovereign King. Amen. You give hope, you restore 
Every heart that is broken And great are you, Lord It's your breath It's your breath in our lungs So we pour out our praise We pour out our praise It's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only. And great are you, Lord. You give life. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken and great are you Lord it's your breath it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only we sing and all the earth will shout amen shout his praise unto our god Shouts your praise, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, Lord. Yes, He is in all the earth. And all the earth will shout your praise, our hearts will cry, these bones will sing. Great are you, time in all the earth and all the earth will shout your praise our hearts will cry these bones will sing great are you Lord it's your breath it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise we pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise pour out our praise it's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only great are you Are great. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. 
the only one who's worthy. Amen. He's seated above with the Father, the only perfect spotless lamb, the perfect sacrifice. Amen. to die poured out for all mankind God's only son God's only son perfect and spotless one he never sinned and he never sinned but suffered as if he did all authority all authority Every victory is yours, all authority, all authority. Every victory is yours, Savior, Savior, worthy of honor and glory. Worthy of all our praise, you overcame Jesus' awesome in power. Jesus, awesome and powerful ever, awesome and great is your name. You overcame power in hand. Power in him, speaking the Father's plan. He's sending us out. He's sending us out, a light in this broken land. And all authority is his, amen. All authority, every victory is yours. Savior, Savior, worthy of honor and glory, worthy of all our praise. You overcame Jesus, awesome in power. Jesus, awesome and power forever. Awesome and great is your name. You overcame. We will overcome. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Everyone overcome by his power. Amen. We will overcome. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Everyone overcome. One more time, we will overcome. 
we will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony everyone overcome savior savior worthy of honor and glory worthy of all our praise you overcame Jesus, awesome in power. And Jesus, awesome and powerful ever. Awesome and great is your name. You overcame. Yes, you overcame. You overcame. Yes, God. It's by your power. Sovereign, great God. Guide our steps, Holy Father. grace abounds. Your grace abounds in deepest waters. Your sovereign hand be my guide. Where feet may fail. Where feet may fail and fear surrounds me. You never fail and you won't start now and i will call and i will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves where oceans rise my soul will rest in your embrace for i am yours you are mine. 
Spirit, lead. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters, whatever you would call me. And take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. And take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. Where my faith would be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. By your sovereign hand, I will call upon your name. And I will call upon your name. Keep my eyes. Keep my eyes above the waves, my soul will rest. For I am yours, and you are mine. Yes, God. We rest in you, holy God. May you have your way today, Lord, today in the service and everything that happens, God. It's by your sovereign hand, Lord. We surrender. We yield to you, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Boy, if that was the rally cry of the church, huh? If that was the the prayer of our hearts, it's only the spirit that can get us to that place. But if we can only be led where our trust without borders, no limits. And I think that's going to tie into what Pastor Jamie is going to preach on this morning. Last week, we lit the candle of hope, uh, which I'm going to light again this morning. Last week was our first week of Advent. And here this morning is our second week, and we're going to light the, pan- the candle of peace. And peace, real peace, it can't just be the absence of conflict and struggle, because that's what we think. If I asked you to define peace, you'd say, well, peace is the absence of conflict and struggle. And yet Jesus says that in the midst of all those things, that we can have peace in him. And so that must mean that peace is more powerful than the absence of struggle and difficulty. It must be the presence of something that's more powerful than those things. Real peace is the presence of Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to light the candle of peace. And I want to read scripture from you this, for you this morning. From Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6.
And it says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Jesus is bigger than our struggles. And so I think this morning, as Pastor Jamie, you can kind of come up. Pastor Jamie is going to be preaching this morning, and we're going to be blessed by that. But our love for Jesus is expressed in obedience to the calling. You know, we, we've talked, we've preached, we've taught, we've, we've gathered together, and it's all about our love for Jesus expressed in our obedience to him. And so, Pastor Jamie, thank you. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, they're awake on this side. Good morning, everybody. All right. Thank you for being here this morning. Um, still working out our co- cohorts, as Pastor calls them. I love that. Um, he had talked about how we're going to be going through the, the book of Jeremiah over the next uh, few weeks, several weeks, depending on how carried away we get. But... Uh, he gave me sort of the, the baton to start this journey, and so um, I will be in Jeremiah chapter 1 this morning. But, um, you know, much like um, often happens, oh, we got somebody reading to me already, that's perfect. So much like often happens is as you start off on a journey, um, you, you read, and I studied this, this chapter, and I was just telling pastor this morning, you think, you know, wow, I can really identify with Jeremiah here. Um, this is what God is showing me. Boy, this, you know, I, I really have had shared some of these thoughts. And then by the end of the week, and as you sit down and you pray and you start really putting the message together, God takes you in a completely different direction. Uh, and, and it's pretty awesome, you know. So um, I'm just as surprised as you are. Hopefully it comes out and God's message is conveyed effectively this morning. So... Um, there is an old saying, and I'm sure many of you heard it or used it. It's, it's God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. And in our main text today, we're going to see a great example of that in Jeremiah. See, Jeremiah was called at a young age to be God's voice to an unrepentant people. And once he heard the call from God, God his first response was to disqualify himself. He based that on his own limitations, and he felt that his limitations would make it impossible for God to use him to accomplish his will. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Good. Who here feels like they might be a little limited? (laughs) And that's how it's supposed to be. But what happens is is when, when, when... When God calls us, our immediate reaction is to look at sort of, you know, our own resume, our own abilities, the things that we know about ourselves, and we immediately start to say, well, I can only do, or I'm not willing to do, or God can't do through me. But if we've read scripture and if we're familiar with the scriptures, we'll see time and time again That God has taken people who were utterly incapable and did amazing things with their lives. 
He changed the world. The fact that we're sitting here a couple of thousand years later was because 12 ordinary men heeded the call of Christ and lived radically for him after the resurrection, after they realized who he was. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to get into this main text. It's Jeremiah chapter 1, as I said. And I'm going to share with you sort of some of the thoughts that God really revealed to me and things that he put on my heart uh, throughout this, this journey. So wait, hold on one second. I lost my page. Don't you hate when that happens? That's all right. So Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. I don't use tabs, so you guys have to forgive me. I'm not, I don't cheat. Just kidding. So it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Jeremiah, Alas, Lord, God. Behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And then the Lord stretched out his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold... I have put my words in your mouth. And see, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. I just realized I was using your Bible, Pastor. That's why. Mine was booked. You like to see me struggle up here? It's okay. I'm used to it. It's kind of good. Good illustration. So first I want to talk about Jeremiah. And just so we have a better understanding of, of who he was and what, he was, what was going on at that time and, and what God was calling him to do, I think it's important before we expound a little more on him. But Jeremiah lived in the final days of the crumbling nation of Judah. God had repeatedly warned Israel to stop their idolatrous behavior, but they wouldn't listen. So God sent Jeremiah to give Judah their last warning before he would cast them out of the land, decimate the nation, and send them into captivity in the pagan kingdom of Babylon. Jeremiah, who was only about 17 at the time, had great inner turmoil over the fate of his people, and he begged them to listen. He was also known as the weeping prophet. Some of you may have heard that before. Because he cried tears of sadness, not only because he knew what was about to happen, but because no matter how hard he tried, his people wouldn't listen. So furthermore, he found no human comfort. God had forbidden him to marry or have children, and his friends had turned their backs on him. So along with the burden of the knowledge of impending judgment, he also must have been a pretty lonely guy. The people of Israel had become so hardened by the numbing effects of sin that they no longer believed God, nor did they fear him. Their problem was a lack of belief, trust, and faith in God, 
along with an absence of fear that caused them to take God for granted. They were lulled into a false sense of security. Their wealth, their sin, and their privilege had blinded them, so they lost focus on God. I'm going to ask you again, does that sound familiar to anybody? See, we're living in a similar time, friends, which means we're facing similar consequences. We're allowing ourselves to be lulled like the nation of Israel was back in these days. And the end will be just as ugly if we don't repent and seek God. And that's the bottom line. So with that being said, I want to look at what we can learn from Jeremiah here today. What does that look like in the context of our lives living in this nation during these times? So first... I think it's important that we realize that God chooses us, we don't choose him. God chooses us, we don't choose him. We see that in Jeremiah's life, we see that in Paul's life, we see that in David's life, we see that time and time again with the apostles and throughout scripture, amen? So 2 Timothy 1.9 says, who saved us and called us with a holy calling not according to our works, not according to anything we did, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. From all eternity. See, Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our sin, but God saved us in Christ Jesus. You've heard that preached from this pulpit many times. We tend to try to take credit for our salvation and for the fact that we're even here today. We reason that, yeah, sure, God called me, but ultimately, I had to choose to make him my savior. And what that's really like saying is, is I had to give God permission to save me or to accomplish his will with me. It's saying that God needs us to complete the work of salvation in his people, which is utter nonsense. We put ourselves up here, right near God. We forget where we came from. We forget we were dead in our sin. We forget the privilege that it is to even know him or to be here with his people. God doesn't need us. Make no mistake about it. We need him. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. So just as God appointed Jeremiah, he appoints us. And we do not appoint him as our God or Jesus as our Savior. So our only response to this appointment should be like that of the woman in Luke 7. This beautiful portrayal of, of this woman washing Jesus, watch, washing Jesus' feet with her tears in her hair. Because she realizes what God's grace means for a sinner like her. For sinners like us. He who has, has been forgiven much, loves much. There needs to be this response from us, the called, the chosen that looks a lot like that woman giving all she had with reckless abandon 
total humiliation, not caring who was around, who was watching, who was criticizing, just for the opportunity to be in the presence and to thank her Savior. Ephesians 1.4 says, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoptions, adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, not ours. Before the world was even created and time even existed, God chose us. God doesn't exist, as pastor's been saying, in this linear time frame that we understand. He's eternal. He's outside of time. He's always existing, always has, always will. He's always present, and he's all-knowing. And so we can't really fathom that. And so in our doctrines and our theologies, we try to wrap our mind around it the best we can. And what's crazy is, is we really get hung up on this stuff sometimes. We even argue and debate about it and make that more of a primary issue than it really is. Because the bottom line is, is we can't fathom eternity, period. Like we can't even understand this nonlinear sort of existence. So what ends up happening is, is we've got to put our little labels or our little understanding. But as, as I've mentioned and, and as we've talked about, I think Francis Chan says it in one of his books, it's like catching the Pacific Ocean in a thimble. That's our minds in comparison to the vastness and the power of God. And what we need to do is just receive that. I mean, what the word is saying here. Stop taking credit for the things that God is doing and getting hung up on those things and then not responding as we should in the knowledge of those things. Like we all know we were not worthy of the cross. We're not worthy of his grace by definition. We did everything we could to run from him and we still do offend him on a daily basis. And yet we want to take credit for choosing him. In love, he predestined us to adoption according to his will. Remember that, not ours. We need to stop questioning God's calling, accept the fact that for some crazy reason he actually did choose us, and realize that privilege when we've been, that we've been given, and then receive it with this great humility, repentance, and gratitude. That's our, our posture. That should be where all of us are at. I don't care how long you've been doing this. I don't care what your role or your title is. I don't care what other people think about you. Because all that matters is what God knows about you. And so we should be coming humbly before the throne of God. We should be walking in constant repentance not allowing the hardening of our hearts so that way when we do sin, we can say, oh well, working on that. Well, God loves me the way I am. Or he knows I'm not perfect. Or he doesn't expect me to be perfect. And that's a whole other sermon for another time, right? Pastor's been bringing that up quite a bit lately. You see, the reality is, is if we don't have these humble, repentant hearts... If we don't cultivate a heart of gratitude and we don't live thankfully for all that he has done, then you know what we're going to do? We're going to start living expectantly for the things we want 
the things that we expect him to do for us, rather than looking at what's been done for us. And so that makes us ungrateful. Brothers and sisters, God chooses whom he chooses, and it is not for us to question. It's not for us to question. Sure, it may bother us. We love people. We want to see everyone come to know Jesus. And that's normal. That's natural. That's how it should be. But when we get to a point where we start getting angry or frustrated with, with God and his word and doctrine, we've got to start looking at ourselves. That means we've moved from that humility. That means we've moved from, from gratitude. And that means that we're not living in repentance. It's important we understand that. So you may be asking yourself, but why? Why does he choose us? Why did he choose me? Right? You know you. <laughs> I know you too, buddy. <laughs> First is the easy answer. First is the, the easy answer that we sometimes spit out almost, you know, reflectively. Almost like his ways are not our ways. <laughs> I don't know why. And that's a, a true answer, but it's also an easy one. You know? There's a good chance we can't see what God is doing most of the time because the complexity and the size, the vastness of his plan, his will, his mind. But we just need to seek his will and trust him with the details. So we understand that God chooses us and we don't choose him according to his word. But now let's look at God's purpose for choosing all of us. And this is pretty much a blanket statement. This is general. Because I'm talking about everyone. Everyone who's been called by God, everyone who's been chosen by him, has these responsibilities. See, God called Jeremiah with a very specific purpose. It was to call his people to repentance and warn them of the wrath to come. And just like he had a specific purpose for Jeremiah at that time, he has a very specific purpose for us here and now. And that purpose is spelled out. It is spoken by Jesus himself. Right before the ascension in Matthew chapter 28, we see it in verse 19 and we post it on our banners. It's to make disciples. It's to teach people what Jesus has commanded us and to baptize them as they repent and follow him. But we can't even get to that point of making disciples if we are not first disciples ourselves. You cannot give what you do not have. So you can go around trying to tell everybody about Jesus, but if your life does not reflect that of one who follows him, you're going to be a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. You're going to lack the love of Christ in your life. You're not going to be an ambassador or a good one. You're not going to reflect the light and the love of Jesus Christ unless you first succumb to the fact that he is sovereign, he is Lord, and that you need to surrender to him. What's sad is, is that isn't enough for some of us. We want glory. 
And that's been going on since the beginning of time. We want what we consider success. We want a Jesus that can give us the things we want out of life. And we don't want that with, without the, with the inconvenience of sacrificing anything to follow him. I think I spit that out right, so. You know, but the reality is, is people are getting rich on that. Books and TV programming and everything else is promoting that nonsense. That Jesus is this genie who's going to give you everything you want, all your heart's desires. He wants you to be wealthy. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to live your best life right now. And that's that lull I was talking about, that false sense of security. Because the rain falls on the just and the unjust the same. Disease and death and tragedy and loss is going to hit all of us in this room at some point. Did you know that? Some of you know that better than others right now. And it's unfortunate that sometimes it takes us to get to that point to really wrap our minds around this. Because of that false sense of security. This false Jesus that we've sort of adopted here in America and a lot of the world now. It's not what this is all about, church. Jeremiah knew that. He still struggled with it, but, but he knew that it wasn't about living his best life. He lived a life of, of kind of torment. He preached for 40 years and not once did he see any real success in changing or softening the hearts and minds of his stubborn, idolatrous people. 40 years. Nothing. Can you imagine, Pastor, preaching for a few years and not one person coming to know Christ through your ministry? How would we endure that? How would we? And yet, in obedience, Jeremiah, you know, a lot of people pick out the negatives of Jeremiah sometimes. You know, his depression, his discouragement. But for 40 years, he worked his butt off against the people who mocked him and laughed him and didn't want to hear a word he said with no results and no success. And he kept going. This call isn't about achieving personal success or happiness. Sure, it happens. And I'm not saying it won't or it shouldn't. So I hope you don't hear that. Sure, God blesses some in different ways, or God uses some, or, or provides resources to different people and, and different organizations and so on. But that's God dealing with it. Our job is just to be okay with how he disperses those things. Whether it's gifts, whether it's resources, whether it's accolades and recognition, influence and affluence. It's all for his glory and kingdom, not for us. But most of us, what we do is, is we exploit those things because we want so badly, as I said, for our own glory. Rather than to glorify him. We had shared recently on a Wednesday night, and, and Pastor had repeated it as well, I think, on a Sunday recently. You know, we were talking about the Westminster Catechism. And the first tenet is what is the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's the chief end of who we are. That's our purpose. But we like, we like that thought in theory. 
But when it comes to what that really looks like in practice, we're like, well, I really like a bigger house, a nicer car. You know, all these things start to come to mind. And that's where we start to veer off, where the American dream meets biblical Christianity. And that's where we start to sort of Americanize Jesus. And we start to justify it. We start to increase our standard of living. I say we. Us. We start to increase our standard of living. And then we become a slave to a standard of living. Because God forbid we lose any of these things. God forbid we don't maintain this. And then what happens is, is we have to work more. And we have less time with our families. We have less time in the word. We have less time in, it, with Jesus himself in prayer. And he becomes an afterthought. And then we wonder why our ministry, our personal ministry, our lives are, are less effective than they should be. This broke my heart while I was reading this. While I was studying this and while I was putting this together. I almost didn't even mention this. I want to put this in my notes because I'm guilty of it. Straight up truth. I work too much. I'm too focused. Ministry itself keeps me away from God sometimes. And I'll admit that. And it's sad. And I had to repent. And I, in tears, had to ask for forgiveness while I was putting this together. Because sometimes we can come across as we've got it all figured out or we're doing all the work. But a lot of times it's just business. It's motions. And we're tired and we're burnt out and we're not sleeping enough. And we're trying to answer every phone call and we're trying to help every person. And you know what ends up happening? As we start moving further and further away from our spirituality and more and more leaning on our own gifts and talents and our abilities become our liabilities. And if we're not careful, we fall away. Pastor talks about all the time how people are leaving the ministry left and right. How pastor, the, the pastoral suicide rate continues to increase. And divorce continues to increase. There's a reason for that. And it's not because Jesus is at the middle of it. That's the problem. It's because man is taking over. Man is doing things in his own strength. Man is leaning on his own abilities. We've got to stop that. We've got to remember the priorities. I had someone reach out to me last night who has a brother who has been struggling with addiction now for well over a decade. And we've been through so much with this guy. And we've brought him in and out of so many different treatment facilities. And I've met with him so many times. And it just seems like he's doing really well and then crashes. And when he crashes, he crashes hard. The bottom falls out. And life falls apart. And he gets arrested or he goes to jail or he almost dies. And the whole family's in an uproar. And it's like the same crazy cycle that they've been on now for over a decade. And he brings everyone along with them. With him. And she says, so we're, my sister and I have decided, I think what we're going to do is, is we're going to check out. I said, okay. And I, I said, what does that mean? And she says, uh, I don't know, I just don't think we can take this anymore. I think what we need to do is cut them off and, you know, show them some real tough love. And I said, that doesn't sound like love to me at all. 
I said, you know, if people had all shut me, shut me off, yeah, ultimatums happened, yeah, boundaries were created. Absolutely. Resources shut down. Enabling, cut off. That has to happen. But when you cut a loved one out of your life who's struggling or suffering in some sort of sickness, you're not loving them. I said, what you need to do is think about this. What's the most important thing? What's the worst case scenario in your brother's situation? She says, death. I said, absolutely. Tragedy. I said, where do you want to be if that happens? What kind of relationship do you want to be in with him when that happens? Because you can't undo that. You can't go back and say, okay, maybe I should have stuck by him. Maybe I should have, you know, allowed him to sort of be in my life. And I think we forget about this because it's easier for us or it's a more manageable situation for us. But the reality is, is we're called, and we've said this a hundred times here, to love people back to life. Through the gospel, through that vehicle. That doesn't mean being a doormat. That doesn't mean continuing to open your home or your wallet to people who are just going to continue to keep abusing those, those privileges. What it does mean, though, is it means continuing to remind them of this calling and this grace and this mercy that the Lord has for them. But never pulling away. You may be that voice, that Jeremiah in their life. Jeremiah for 40 years, no fruit, no success, until after his death, really. We don't do it for our own glory. We don't do it for our own success or for our own desired results. We do it for what God wills. It's that simple. You know, 2 Timothy 1.9 says, we're called according to his own purpose. I shared that earlier, right? So it's, it's not so we could use the name of Jesus to achieve our own purpose, but so we could surrender ourselves to his purpose for us. You know, I think a lot of times that's what we do, and I, and I sort of hinted to that, alluded to that a little bit. You know, the, the fact that we use Jesus as this vehicle for our own fame, success, or, or monetary gain, and that's disgusting. And yet many do this. This is that American dream mentality. We've got to be so careful with that. You know, if we stood before him today, we, are we sure that everything he gave us and all that we're doing, whether it's time or money, family, influence, affluence, and all those things are being used for his glory or ours? It's for his own purpose, not our purpose. Remember that. John 15, 16, as I shared, says he appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Most of the time we're living in the flesh instead of the spirit, and so we're not even bearing fruit at all. Beating you up a little today, right? Has to happen sometimes, sorry. There you go. Let the hippie be full of love. <laughs> Make no mistake, I am loving you. Yeah, yeah. Make no mistake that I am loving you through this right now. That this is a loving message. We bear fruit when it's easy or convenient, but 
A lot of times it's not true spiritual fruit. It's that artificial stuff, that plastic stuff your aunt's got on the coffee table, you know. Looks pretty, but it's not authentic. Jackie laughs because she knows. We've boiled Christianity down to this being kind, saying nice, nice things to people, giving when we can, serving when we have time, and cutting back on our cursing. And Jesus is calling us to bear lasting spiritual fruit. The two are not the same. <laughs> this can only be done when we give our hearts fully to Christ and allow the painful process of sanctification to happen. And it is painful. It takes us out of our comfort zones. It forces us to look at our sin. It forces us to repent and to turn away from things that we love. That's what sanctification is. Because it's the process of becoming more like Christ and less like our old selves. A conversion must happen. You know, the word says you will know them by their fruit or how they love one another. Not by their bumper sticker. You know, and think about that for a second. Because if someone was to look at your life and the fruit that it's producing, will they know that you're a follower of Christ? We have to really analyze that because that's our gauge. That's what the Word says. It really is. In Galatians 5, it's really a great example. Read the whole chapter from verse 17 right down through 23, and you'll understand what I'm saying. If you walk in the flesh, this is going to happen, but if you walk in the Spirit, this will happen. They're two very, very different positions. Stark contrast between the two of them. There's no mistaking. So if we look more like the world, we've got to ask ourselves, where's our heart? We're focused on everything else except the simple command to be fruitful Christians. We bear fruit, like I said, when it's easy. We've boiled it down to simplicity. And, and this, this, this whole thing can only be accomplished when we give our hearts fully to Christ and allow that sanctification. So when we do this, we become fertile soil that allows the Holy Spirit to transform us and harvest this true, lasting, spiritual fruit in our lives. And until we're fertile soil, that can't happen. That can't happen. We become that thorny soil. You know, yeah, we, we may get a couple of blossoms and blooms here and there, right? But it's quickly strangled because work calls. <clears throat> Hardship happens. Difficulty comes along. The world influences us. A friend shows up. A TV show comes on. Our favorite song from our old life. Whatever it is, it's sometimes the simplest things. A smell, a sound, a sight. It's so easy for us to get knocked off that, that road. And it's narrow. Ephesians 1.4 said that we, we would be holy and blameless before him. That's what chosen people are called to. So are we living holy and blameless lives before him? And before we start wondering what our special callings in ministry and life are, we need to start asking ourselves if we're meeting those basic requirements of our callings. This basic, all-encompassing calling to be fruitful, 
to grow, to share the gospel, to make disciples? Are we doing the basics or are we trying to jump ahead to get to this? Oh, what do you got for me, God? What's my specialty? What can I be known for? Luke 6, 46 says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It's tough, but we really have to consider these things. If we're really calling him Lord, then that means that his lordship should guide and command our lives. It should navigate our thoughts and our actions. And so let's look at this. God has a specific purpose for each of us. So when Jeremiah was called, the first thing he did, as I said, was disqualify himself for that specific calling. How many of us have done that? How many of us have said, yeah, I can't do that. Oh, that's not for me. That's for him or her. I'm not that kind of Christian. How many of you? Think about it. I know I have. I wonder how many of us have done that and don't even realize it. Or have ignored God, God's voice in our lives altogether because we're so comfortable or happy with where we're at. Maybe. But I digress. We can very quickly talk ourselves out of a calling when it isn't appealing or seems difficult. I can't fully speak for Pastor Brian, but I know him. I know his story well, enough to say that he and I have had some similar moments in the processes, the process of our callings to lead, to pastor. See, we love what we do, and we both take it very seriously. I know that. But we also both felt completely unqualified for the roles God has called and continues to call us to. And if it weren't for, the God, if it weren't for God placing the right people around us and giving us a heart to serve it's very possible that one or both of us might still be dodging that calling. I, I remember I was five months into Teen Challenge. And God was doing amazing things in my life. Like, I mean, I was being radically transformed. There was no question about it. Like, to a point where I just couldn't stop crying <laughs> and thanking him. Because I thought, and I'm sure Brian can attest to this, most people thought, that I was never going to change. And so like there was this realization and we were going to CFC in New Bedford for a choir that Sunday. And I was asked to share my testimony. And I definitely rambled on longer than I should have that day in excitement. Because I was seeing people I hadn't seen in over five months. People that knew me from my old life. People that had seen me before this radical encounter I had with Jesus. And so I was just so excited trying to explain to them, like, you don't get it. Like, this is so real. You need to turn to Christ. You need to give him your life. And like, and I'm going on and on. And I can see Pastor Chris Mello in the back going like this, telling me to wrap it up. And I'm ignoring him. Because <laughs> I was so, it was so urgent for me to tell these people that knew who I was, how good God was and what he could do with an idiot. Because that was really how I felt. And at the end of the second service, they still let me share both services, which I thought was funny, even though I was rambling on. Pastor Joe Vargo, some of you know him. He's passed. He, he found me, and there was a lot of people there. I remember it was 
huge church, and there was a ton of people. It was prior to New Life, so it was like not a you know disbursement in the city yet. And so everybody was at CFC. And I remember, and I'm standing there with just the guys, and I'm just kind of waiting, and I'm just, you know, thinking about what just happened. And I hear, you know, a tap on my shoulder, and I thought it was going to be another friend going, hey, man, I can't believe this is great, you know. And it's Pastor Joe Vago, who I've never met before, and he says, son, he says, I, I, the Lord has told me something, and I need to share it with you. Now, if you know me, you know that I'm very skeptical, <laughs> cynical even sometimes. I've seen so much abuse of the gifts and nonsense that immediately when someone says, the Lord gave me a word for you, <laughs> I go, oh, here we go. Same word so-and-so got last week, right? Like, I'm a jerk. I'm sorry. It's just unfortunate. But he says, the Lord said that you're going to be a pastor someday. You're going to lead. And your, your, your voice is going to be heard. Mark my word, because the Lord doesn't lie. And he says, God bless you, brother. I'm going to continue to pray for you and follow your life. And I was like, okay, weirdo. I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. But I have only been off drugs for like five months, and I'm just happy I'm not dead. Like, so if you come over here and start telling me I'm going to be a pastor, in my head, that is so far off from what, like who I am or what I could be that it was laughable to me. Laughable. And I thought the guy was a nutcase. And I'll never forget, but a year after I got home, we had set up shop on a cushion at Avenue. We had our Acts 29 project. We were, we were just doing some crazy stuff. I was going into the jail, bringing men out. We were discipling, and discipling them in the home. We had groups. We're doing outreach in the neighborhood. We're evangelizing. We're watching people get saved and lives be changed, working with the homeless and the prostitutes. It was amazing. And I had an office there, and I was sort of the executive director, I think was my official title. Kathy remembers because she did all the paperwork. And, I, and this little old man and his wife come walking into my office, I hear. And I look up, and it's Pastor Joe. And I'm like, oh, wow. I haven't seen this guy since CFC. And he comes in, and I get up, and I give him a big hug, and he goes, just wanted to see the fruit, brother. He's like, I told you. God's going to use you. And I remember that in that moment that, Five months into Teen Challenge, I couldn't even wrap my mind around the possibility. And here it was happening in my life. And all I was doing was surrendering my life to God and allowing him to use me and going where I normally wouldn't go and saying what I normally wouldn't say for the glory of God. Because I had always done the opposite. So I had this like George Costanza moment in my life where I was like, I'm going to do everything the opposite of what I used to and see what happens. And man, it was amazing. From my marriage to like my kids to my to my career to, to ministry. Maybe George was on to something. But it was amazing. And I, you know, I don't deserve the air I breathe. So why would God use a loser like me? You know, that's how I I, I think sometimes, and maybe that's a little too harsh, but I know me. I know what I've done, things that'll make your toes curl, and if God took it all away today, I would understand, 
and I would just go back to where I was, and that's okay. You know, because it's been a great ride even until this point, immeasurably more than I ever hoped or imagined for my life. And so if I even just got a glimpse at that, or he took me home today, man, it's more than I've ever deserved. And I can't not think like that every day of my life. And, and you know, I thank God for that perspective. Because I told you, I'm a jerk. <laughs> I can be prideful, arrogant, rude, critical, cynical, narcissistic. And I'm sure my wife can tell you a lot more. <laughs> but some of you sitting here today or watching this live are, are missing or avoiding your calling. You've told yourself that you're not worthy and that God can't use you. And you're partly right because none of us are worthy. But that's what grace is. And that's how grace works. He takes sinners and he turns them into saints. Graves to gardens as we've been singing. Fools confounding the wise. Weak shaming the strong. Nobodies. Becoming somebodies. And that's the beauty of the gospel in this upside down kingdom that we're in. That's what it means to be chosen. The urgency that Pastor Brian and I have and the prayer that we have constantly is that everyone would, would come to this excitement and this knowledge of what God can do in anyone and everyone if we just surrender. If we start pursuing our will and start pursuing his. And it always starts off with something really simple like, here I am God, send me, use me however you can. Hey, I know how to sweep a floor. Hey, I can clean a toilet. That's how I started. And I found excitement in that because I did it for the glory of God. And I needed that to humble me and to keep me in the right perspective. We all need that. Sadly, I had to almost lose my life to learn that lesson. A lot of you are smarter than me here in this room. The opportunity is the same. Your callings are different. Your abilities and your gifts are different. But God created you that way for a purpose. And as Romans 12 says, it's for this purpose. It's not so you can be a great carpenter for the world or for yourself. It's not so you can be great at math or numbers or computers or medicine or whatever it is that you do for the world or yourself. It's for his glory and kingdom. God can and will use whomever and whatever he desires, however he'd like, in order to accomplish that will. Sure, we can become unsavory salt and live in disobedience if we'd like. And like I said, Jeremiah had his moments when he got discouraged and even doubted God. But better to be discouraged and weary in the will of God than drowning in your own will. Friends, according to Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, the gifts and calling are irrevocable. That means that you or anyone else can negate, not you, sorry, or anyone else can negate these things. 
But if you're not living in your calling and you're squandering your gifts for the sake of personal gain instead of kingdom gain, then you're, un, you're going to be unfulfilled, unsatisfied, and outright miserable until you are. Something's not going to click. You're going to feel like a three-wheeled car. I don't know what it is, Pastor. I don't know how many times we hear that. I just feel distant. I don't feel connected. I just can't. If you want to know what your personal, specific calling is, then surrender your life to Jesus. Use all your gifts and resources in a way that glorifies him and watch your calling come alive. Watch your life be radically changed and the lives around you. If God has chosen you, then he has appointed you and he has a plan and a purpose for you. So our job is not to question those things, but to live in obedience to them. Amen? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and close us out. Please stand. Channel 6, awesome. You deserve the glory and the honor. Lord, we lift our hands in worship as we lift your holy name. You deserve the glory. There is no one else. 
deserve the glory we follow. May we be accepting of what your plan is, God, what your calling is for our lives, Holy Father. That you are sovereign, God. You are the king of our lives, the Lord of all creation. Again, may we yield to you, Lord, and surrender to you. We love you and we just love you, God, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.